Right then, the first trip down Main Street since the end of the championship regular season. What a busy month or so that was. We've been in fifth gear pretty much for the last six weeks or so. And now we can calm down a little bit. I'm George Ellick. <laughs> no, I'm not. God, oh, I am. Hey. I am that calm. That is a first. That is a first. <laughs> I think I meant yeah. to say, hi, George Ellick. <laughs> you sounded surprised when you said it. Uh <laughs> Hi. Hi, George Ellick. How are you? I think that sets the tone so well for what we're hoping is going to be quite a relaxed and quite laid back and lighthearted podcast. I am Ali Maxwell. Hi, George Ellick. How was your weekend? The first without football for, for, for some time. I'm confused as to who you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was great, actually. Thank you very much. I had a good time. Um, you say the first without football. There was quite a lot of football yesterday. Um, only one game that matters to us, but I'd be lying if I sure. said that I wasn't kind of keeping on top of some things happening in another league. Um, mainly just obviously so we'd know who we were covering next season because the research starts now. Um, <laughs> I, I'd never heard of, of Boren Mal, uh <laughs> until until yesterday afternoon. Um, you know, a, a, a club from the South Coast that are apparently bankrolled by, by a billionaire Russian owner. So looking forward to having, you know, the Chelsea of the uh, of the EFL coming down in Boren Mouth. Um and uh, and what forward as well the hornets are they both um, um um going back to the time where these words place names were invented are, they, are these both water related bournemouth obviously the mouth of the river bourne presumably and then some large ford at the top of uh, at the top of north london what ford <laughs> very good okay uh, um. but interesting to note that we might be i mean it looks looking less likely now we're going to lose the bees but if we lose the bees at least we're getting the hornets, eh? Yeah, nice touch. Um, and we hate wasps at the moment because they're continuing to make things difficult for Coventry to return back to the city of Coventry to play their football. And they play the worst sport in the world. <laughs> the worst sport that could possibly exist. Look, this uh, today's pod's not going to be about the playoffs. Uh, there's only been one of four playoff semifinals. Uh, it was an entertaining game, uh, you know, relative to most playoff semi-final first legs I must say between Brentford and Swansea it was 1-0 to Swansea they take that lead back to London uh, on Wednesday night we've got Fulham Cardiff tonight we're not going to go in depth on these at the moment because it's, it's not a particularly good time and things age very quickly but on Friday Friday morning first thing we are getting on the phone with our producers of the Going Up, Going Down podcast, which we do for The Athletic, and we will be reviewing the Championship Playoff semifinals and previewing the final, which is next Tuesday, just eight days away upon recording of this podcast. So make sure you're subscribed to the Going Up, Going Down pod if you're looking for really good... <laughs> that was a bad thing to say. If you're looking for half-decent uh, playoff analysis, that's where you'll find it. As for today, predictions. Love them or hate them. George and mm. based on the we've, all, we've, we've all got them we? <laughs> well we've all got them love them or hate them in, in, based on the numbers that any prediction pods we do get people love them based on the comments that we get off the back of them some people hate, hate them, them. <laughs> um, but um, but we do them don't we and in the fo football pod world I think they really are sort of bread and butter content there pe people do want to know what other people think um, so that they can can sort of uh, see how their opinions align with that we do our one to 24s at the start of every season just a couple of days before the season starts normally on the monday when the games are on the saturday um and i just think it's worth having a little look back at what we thought back in august we're basically we are 363 days since we recorded our one to 24 pods and i wanted to try and remember what we were thinking back then and how well it's gone basically um yeah i, I think um can't live with him, can't live without him, to be honest. Predictions in the, I, in the pod world. Yeah, I, I feel like we're probably getting quite close to, to some people starting their predictions now. Mm. Um, the, the race starts so early for people to get their 1-24s to out. I think next season is going to be quite difficult because the transfer window is going to close about six weeks into the season. So um, the, you know, the, what we found looking back, even this time around, um, I think because of the change of how the transfer window worked this season with the transfers between the Premier League and the EFL being able to continue after the, the May window closed. Um, quite often we were reviewing teams who, as we'll talk about, had very few of the players who ended up being key players. Mm. In, to, you know, we're not making, well, not making excuses, giving reasons maybe for why, for why we were a bit off with some of them. But our championship effort was, you know, pretty, pretty fire emoji, I would say. I think so too. And, and, 
you know what? I actually put it out there on Twitter the other day, and the reaction was that it was a, a, a pretty solid effort, which I think is a, is high praise, really, um, from from Twitter for anything. Let me just run you through the table. So listen carefully. Um, uh, first thing is to note that Wigan's points deduction does not exist in our predicted league table. We obviously didn't know about it back in August, so we can't exactly claim that our prediction of 23rd, which is where they ultimately finished with a deduction, uh, was was some sort of genius or some incredible force. I don't know, mate. Instead, I, was on the, I was on the beach in the Philippines last summer and I heard a rumour, <laughs> and that's where it came from. So we are, we are, for the sake of this, putting Wigan in 13th place. It's actually one of our worst predictions. Um, we did predict Leeds first and they won the division so that was a good start we had Cardiff in second they finished fifth we had Brentford in third and they finished third Fulham in fourth and that's where they finished so top four it was a good start three absolutely bang on the money then we had Stoke in fifth Uh, they finished 16th this is our worst prediction in the championship West Brom in sixth they finished fourth so we underestimated Slavin Bilic's men Bristol City in seventh they came 12th a five gap a five place gap Forest in eighth and they came 7th, so pretty close. Huddersfield, we predicted ninth, and they came 19th. Derby, we predicted 10th, and that's where they came. Preston, 11th, and they came 9th. Blackburn, 12th, and they came 11th. Borough, we had in 13th. We were a bit worried about Woodgate. We should have been more worried. They came 18th, uh, a five-place gap again, and then a run of really poor predictions. We had Swansea in 14th, and they came 6th. We had Millwall in 15th, and they came 8th. We had Hull in 16th, and they came 24th. Couple of caveats there in the in the form of a couple of attacking players, I think. And we had Barnsley in 17th, and for the sake of this, they came 22nd. They got the 22nd most points. So even though they stayed up ultimately because of the deduction, Sheffield Wednesday 18th, and they came 17th. A QPR 19th, they came 14th. Underestimating a Barry Eze there. Uh, Birmingham we had in 20th, and they were 21st. Flip side Luton we had 21st, and they came 20th. And then our bottom three was Reading, who we had 22nd. They came 15th. That was a poor pick. Wigan, 23rd, and they came 13th. 10 places out that. Uh, and Charlton, we had bottom 24th, and they came 23rd. Um, so, George, all in all, four teams that finished in the exact position we predicted. 12 teams within uh, three places of our prediction, and seven either over or estimated by at least seven place. I think... It's the, it's the bad ones that are most interesting here. So that's where we'll go to start with. They're definitely juicier than the ones that we got right. Uh, let's start with, with Stoke City. We had them 11 places higher than they finished. And that was an improvement on the year before where we had them winning this godforsaken division and they finished 16th. So in a way, things are improved. This is what we said back in last July. This is what our reasoning was. Let's see how badly it's aged. Uh, look, this Stoke team are very different a year on. They have Nathan Jones in charge. Reports from pre-season are that of fluid football, uh, pressing, a diamond formation. And I'm just thinking this is going to look a bit like Luton from last year's League One, but in the Championship. It looks like a squad with a lot of options on paper. It's a, a manager that we've seen work wonders in his last job. And a lot depends on on him, of course, because his personality and his leadership are so important, but they are also quite extreme, Nathan Jones. And it's certainly the type of character and personality that can put people's noses out of joint if things don't go well. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. So that's what we said at the time. Um, George, how do we start to sift through the wreckage of another horrendous prediction involving Stoke City? And how do we avoid doing the same next season? I think next season we have to. <laughs> Uh, probably not put them so high, although Stoke fans will tell you certainly that next season is the season where they're going to improve because the um, you know, I tweeted a poll last week asking which manager mid-season had made the biggest impact and it was hijacked by Stoke fans who were doing stuff like quote retweeting it saying, come on guys, two more hours to make sure Michael wins, <laughs> um, which just shows the level of respect that he has with some children in Stoke. But um, it's, yeah, it, it's a difficult this one because... We obviously have, or I'd certainly had a lot of respect for Nathan Jones and his ability to manage football teams. And it felt like the back end of last season was easy to write off. You mentioned there about his personality being something that would maybe, um, you know, rile people up somewhat. And I think a combination, it was a a bad combination of really poor results um, early on, which therefore kind of led to his job 
and the job he was doing becoming untenable. You I mean you and I looking at the the XG and data side of things early on in the season will tell any would have told anybody watching Stoke's poor performances that they were they were not as bad as as the results were showing. Certainly the performances tailed off as the run went on. I think also when we recorded this in August, if I'd had to pick a team in the division who um, would be so or a manager in this division so catastrophically let down by their goalkeeper. I wouldn't have necessarily picked Jack Butland to be the person who would probably end up costing the manager his job. I'm not really making excuses for Nathan Jones here, though, because I do think at the same time um, a lot went wrong. The recruitment was pretty poor, and you know we we spoke about having a lot of options in the squad. It was a bloated squad. It was a bloated squad with without any real um, finesse in the way it was built. We spoke about, uh, or you, I should say, spoke about how we we could see this being a Luton. Um, side in the championship they didn't have the personnel to do that he had a summer to recruit the fullbacks needed in order to play the, that diamond and he just didn't do it um, it's it does feel to me like Stoke lost something in the last year um, even watching Stoke's performances under Michael O'Neill in the last few weeks you know against Brentford's um, so solid at the back but they even though O'Neill's obviously got a good tune out of them and has them in a much better position on the pitch, that their ability, you know, when they came down from the Premier League, they should have had players of the technical ability to dominate games. Mm. And for whatever reason it is, Stoke never do that. Stoke's best performances now are basically built on a solid defence. Reactive. To, exactly. And, yeah. and trying to get either Gregory um, to break the, to break behind the, the high line they're normally coming up against or hope for the likes of Vokes to dominate or somebody from out wide to produce some quality. That it couldn't be further polar opposite from what we were expecting in terms of what we've seen on the, on the pitch. It's actually worked for Stoke. Um, but no excuses at all. But it's worth remembering, and I think I'm going to say this a lot about our predictions, having Stoke in fifth wasn't at the time a seemingly particularly positive prediction. I think that they were about fifth or sixth in the market. Mm. This was kind of, we were predicting them to, to just about break even as to what they're expecting to do but we're meant uh, to be better than the market george we're meant to be better than everyone why why do we put so much time into it if we can't be better i mean I know. it'd be good if we could somehow compare like everyone's predictions i don't even know what the formula would be to work out who's were the best but uh but yeah it'd be interesting to see how other people got on here i mean it's funny you mentioned underlying numbers i've got fox punters xg ratio tables up in front of me finally able to look back at a 46 game season albeit very truncated and completely chaotic and in terms of xg ratio uh, stoke are sixth in the championship over the course of the season now big caveat is from fulham who have the fourth best numbers of 40 a 54.6 percent xg ratio to basically Barnsley about 10 places uh, below there's not actually that much between each team so it's i'm not saying that stoke were you know, massively uh, were just clearly way, way better than, than where they finished. But it is interesting and kind of backs up what you're saying that uh, certainly early on they were being let down by some chronic uh, defensive mistakes, some goalkeeping mistakes, some mistakes from strikers. Uh, and as you say, it kind of snowballed from there before Ma- uh, Michael O'Neill rescued them. Um, Huddersfield was another bad one. We had them ninth. We were very keen to point out that... Um, Everyone we'd spoken to linked to Huddersfield who followed Huddersfield was not expecting promotion and that they were very happy just to consolidate. And it's almost like that was kind of a dangerous thing in hindsight because they were consolidating uh, or they were trying to uh, raise themselves after what had been an insipid Premier League season with a manager who I guess they maybe felt uh, at a lower level um, where the, the gap in quality between your average Huddersfield player and their opponents in the Premier League was quite big. Maybe in the Championship it wouldn't be so big. Maybe Seward would get a tune out of the players, and that was absolutely not the case. And it's interesting that you know we had. It's it's just I think it's the most interesting thing for us in terms of predictions each summer is where you put the relegated Premier League teams. You know yeah. Huddersfield came nineteenth here. We had them ninth. That felt quite low. We had Stoke I'm- winning the league the year before. They came fifteenth this summer, basically, George. Are we saying to ourselves we have to pick a Premier League team to finish in the in the bottom half? Because uh, sorry, <laughs> a, a former, a recent Premier League team. Because that's what's happened the last few years. People are well, struggling. I think, we, I think we you just have to recalibrate this idea, and, you, and don't get spooked by you know anyone looking at the odds at the beginning of every season. We'll see the relegated teams in those top four or five. Don't fall for that. I, I remember the conversation we had before we recorded saying 
God, I want to put Huddersfield lower, but I just feel like mm. we can't really. Like we can't. Like are they, like, can we put them in like in the bottom half? Like probably not. Well, don't you know? We need to not worry about that. We like, were this, very excited about the signing of. Uh... Feels like a like a bad. You know, it felt like basically almost the most controversial of any of our predictions in terms of it being negative. Mm. And we were still 10 points, Miles 10 places too positive. We, we were very excited about the signing of Reese Brown, who had lit up League Two with Forest Green uh, the season before. I mean, did, barely played a minute. That's the last time I'm going to get excited about the League Two to Championship uh, transfer move, I think. Um, Wigan, we had 10 places lower than they ended up finishing. This one doesn't look great. That The excuse, the early excuse is it was before Kiefer Moore signed. And your big thing was like, I just don't see how, having lost Powell... And with the strikers they've got, which at that time I think was like Ghana, um, and I can't really remember who else. And, and and we were expecting Callum Lang to be playing, looking at the squad at that time. Um, they then signed Kiefer Moore, and I dare say that would have changed a little bit. But also, you know, th- there are going to be some that you rightly say, Ali, you, you pushed for that and it was wrong. This was one that, you, you know, you were pretty confident that Wigan were going to struggle based on what you'd seen the, the previous year. And I think we both underestimated Paul Cook, managerial genius. Definitely. Well, and also this, if, if you if you took a, a look at our predictions at the halfway point, you know, back in December, this would have been one of the ones we'd have been most proud of because they were sitting in the relegation zone. Yeah. Um, and I guess there's every chance that if if the club hadn't um, retained some faith in Paul Cook and had pulled the plug and, and tried to kind of rip it up and start again, there's every chance that, that they wouldn't have finished as high as they did. Mm. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was a it was a bad one. It was my it was my call. I think you had them in 17th, so it wasn't that you were you were crowing about them being. A, no, no, not at know. all, not at all. But but, but it, you know, I it's it's testament to the job that you know we've waxed lyrical uh, in recent months uh, on the podcast, on the radio, and stuff about Paul Paul Cook and the job that he's done. And you know, when you add into the mix everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks. And that I was confident they were going to be a bottom three side. It just shows um, what a job he did in, yeah. in turning it around. So, yeah, Kiefer Moore was certainly um, a big move. I, I actually we both backed, backed him. him top goal scorer. Yeah, exactly. After um, he actually maybe before he moved, I think even when he was still with Barnsley, I backed him. That's how much we were rating him heading into no, I the season. I remember, I remember, I backed him actually when he went because I was like, well, they have no one else who can score goals. Mm. And to be to be fair, he didn't score goals for a while, um, and it was only yeah. when he started to click him and Lowe, uh, towards the end, that's where things really started to take off. So there's another group of teams uh, that we got wrong. One of them we underestimated was Swansea. Um, just, uh, I, I have no idea if any of this conversation is interesting, but I know a lot of people like to do these predictions themselves before the start of the season. A couple of interesting topics, I, I suppose narratives maybe, uh, that we always think about. One of them, and we keep coming back to, one of them, relegated Premier League teams. How do you judge how well they are coping with what is, in footballing terms, quite a big trauma. And another one is, how do you deal with managers that have never managed at senior level before? George, that's what we were faced with with Steve mm. Cooper. Um, and we were also such big fans of Graham Potter. We were fans of Ollie McBurney. We were fans of Daniel James. So, I mean, it, it kind of... I could, This isn't one where I'm looking back with great embarrassment. I'm actually just quite pleased i think it's i'm pleasantly surprised at how well they've done uh and and want to give cooper credit as a manager but also as someone with some excellent contacts in order to put together um this group of young players who have come in and made such an impact on loan but also equally with with a player like andre are to corral his incredible energy into something positive for swansea where that sort of player can sometimes be quite a big negative so that was a team that we really underestimated a team that might well be promoted to the premier league and then another sort of issue with uh, with preseason predictions, George. You can't really legislate for managerial changes, can you? You have to judge a team based on how good or bad you think their manager is, and it's something that we put a lot of importance on. Whoever's at the helm of the teams we're predicting, and you've got teams in uh, in Millwall and Reading who we did not predict to do very well, who early on in the season were not doing very well, but who rose comfortably after changing managers, which is kind of an interesting one. Yeah, and there's nothing you can do, as you say, to um, to compensate for this. Like even next season, I am pretty confident with Reading that Mark Bowen will not be their manager um, by like February. So I'm sure we'll have them low down again. That would be that would be like the third season in a row where that's happened. I know. Right? Paul I Clement, know. Jose Gomsch, and Gomsch. and Mark Bowen. You think it might be a, a three in a row? 
Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, given that the fans already haven't taken to him or his style of football at all, and they've basically picked up points at a rate that none of those other managers could really dream about, um, would would suggest that it's not going to take much crowd. For, the, for that to to yeah, exactly tough crowd uh, for for that to to flip. Um, I remember that's been five or six years ago. There were three seasons in a row where I backed a team in the Premier League who. Um, were basically bottom or in the in the bottom three with not very long to go, and then they'd appoint Sam, Sam Allardyce, and he would just <laughs> scupper scup my bet, um, and and that is kind of the perils, I guess, yeah. of anti-post betting. But with Reading, you know, as you say, when when uh, Jose Gomes uh, was was sacked, they were in the relegation zone. Uh, Mark Bowen came in, and to his to his credit, is has obviously pushed them up, up the division. But I I think, you know, especially given the um, flack I was given on. Well, once on Sky Sports News pre-season, I said that um, after the signing of Puskas, I said, you know, I think we were asked, is this a signing, a statement of intent that, that Reading can go forward here and, and try and um, get promoted? And I was like, no, like they, they're trying to stay up. That has to be the key. And I was mm. told that I was crazy. But you know, the managerial change was made in order to keep them up. And, and they didn't really finish in terms of points very far above the relega- relegation zone either. Um I'm very confused by the Bowen situation at the moment because whether or not Reading fans think that they have a squad of better quality, he he was brought in to do a job and he and he's done it. Um, it's, and with Reading next season as well, um, you we have to anticipate that at least one of and probably both of Swift and Ajaria may not be there anymore. Um, mm. And with a manager, the fans don't seem to to really particularly like. It doesn't really feel like the football club is in a in a great position at the moment. Oh, it could be very attritional if both of those teams, uh, both of those players go uh, and aren't replaced in terms of creativity. And what a bizarre recent managerial history they've had, uh, Reading. I mean, Yap Stam, uh, remember him? Paul Clement, Jose Gomes, and now Mark Bowen. They've really they've they've had kind of so many different different aspects of managers and management over the last three or four years uh, alone um we also overestimated hull city uh, here's what we said at the time um it kind of makes a bit more sense when you hear it i'm just sure one of them will leave uh, and if they do i'd be really concerned because i think at the moment because of those guys they look like they might be perfectly good going forward and probably score quite a lot of goals but even with those guys i'm very worried at their defense uh, and I'm worried that they might concede plenty. So while they're there, I think 16th is fine. I guess I'm just a bit concerned if if uh, if they leave. You know, 16th place position um, is a it's not as good as last season. I mean, it's it's a drop for them, yeah, marginal. So, um, but as I must say, if, if Grisicki and uh, and and Bowen do leave for the next 10 days or so, then then I think relegation could be a could be a worry. There you have it. The funny thing is. Bowen and Grisitsky didn't leave, and Hull were at least 16th. In fact, quite a long way ahead of 16th. And six months later, they did leave, and I think we all know what happened next. So there's the, there's the. I mean, at, at the very least, like it's rare that you'd have two players in any team at this level who were just that important, who were basically the difference between being a top half team and a playoff chaser, and the worst team one of the worst teams we've seen. What was it? One win in their last 20? Unbelievable. Um, Let's move on to League One after George, because what we'll find is League One and League Two did not go as well as the Championship. So let's not dwell on our successes. No one wants to hear that. But uh, there were a few that we were pretty good on. Uh, Leeds, Brentford, Fulham, uh, Derby, Preston, Blackburn, one place off with Forest, Birmingham, Luton, Charlton. Which of those are you, you know, deep down, which of those are you happiest with? Which one do you think is the best prediction of the lot. Well, despite being quite far out, I'm quite proud of our whole prediction after hearing what we just said, even though we're eight, <laughs> eight places out, what we said was was pretty spot on. Um, yeah, difficult. I think, interestingly, again, I think with Borough, even though we were five off, I think having them as low as we did and then being as poor as they were on the back of um, being a, a pretty good championship side was impressive. But I think I think our Sheffield Wednesday call um, was quite a good one. Where We they didn't have a manager in- at the time. Which didn't help. Yeah, no. But we we, we had them at eighteenth. They ended up coming seventeenth. Um, and yeah, whilst Gary Monk was appointed fairly soon after this, um, you know, Steve Bruce had certainly looked like he'd built something pretty impressive. And it's easy to get caught up in um, in that kind of end of season narrative. Uh, and we didn't fall for it. 
certainly the the ambitions of the club after Monk was appointed was to be much higher up in the table. Um, but I like that we obviously analysed their squads and, and what we thought was left there and um, and had them down as a, a lower mid-table side and that's what they proved to be. Yeah, that was one of the ones we got the most stick for, I'd say. So that, that therefore leads to it being sweeter, I think, as much as you try and be objective and let any any criticisms, any rudeness, dare I say it, online, <laughs> as much as you want it to wash over you and to stay serene. Um, you know, you do, you do remember those. Uh, and, and it's fair to say that there's a lot of stick that we get, which ends up being justified. So, um, you know, you get both sides, that's for sure. Uh, a good time to, to mention that one of the pods we're going to do in the next few days and our summer schedule or our off-season schedule is still to be set in stone. I think it's fair to say that both of us are looking forward to to trying to switch off a little bit or at least just to calm down a little bit so that we're recharged and ready for, for season preview content uh, in, well, about a month's time or four weeks' time. Um, but there are a couple of things I want to do. One of them is a piece on relegated Premier League clubs, what it does to you, how it affects you, and mainly just in a sporting sense, how we can be in a position where these clubs get given so much money. And we know that it's a, it, it is for parachute purposes. It's meant to be for financial safety purposes. Whether or not it's used in that way, uh, I think we all know it's not the case. Why do these teams fare so badly compared to how the bookies price them up, compared to how their fans would expect, compared to the strength of their squad? That's something we're going to look into over the next few weeks. There's actually been a piece, George, on The Athletic over the weekend, um, just after the end of the Premier League games, and it's on relegation from the Premier League, and it's going to form, it's going to give us some quite good info because there's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, I don't know what you made of the piece. It's, it's by Daniel Taylor, Matt Slater, Michael Bailey, Richard Sutcliffe, Charlotte Harper, Greg Evans, and Chris War. So it's a classic uh, athletic group effort with a lot of good anecdotes in there. Um, one of them, which I read with... Well, a sort of mixture of amusement and disgust uh, was that Mick McCarthy telling a story that at Sunderland in 2003, they went down uh, from the Premier League. And as is often the case, and this is the disgust part, 80 people uh, lost their jobs as a result of that, as a result of the budget cuts. The letters terminating their contracts had just gone out and Mick McCarthy was sitting in the manager's office feeling absolutely dreadful when he heard an engine roaring outside. It was his captain, Michael Gray, pulling up in a brand new Ferrari. You can probably imagine the look on McCarthy's face as he remembers the scene. There's a few good bits in this piece, isn't there? Mm, really good. Um, I thought there was an interesting interview with uh, Gerald, Gerald Krasner, who is currently involved in the... Um, Wigan saga uh, as one of the administrators and he talks he's certainly about... not he's not quiet is he Gerald Krasner he's he's, no, he's... he's quite he's quite lively well, he's, yeah I mean he's former chairman of Leeds so I mean he obviously knows um I mean I don't know if that's a particularly uh, good thing to have in your CV in the past 20 years um but he talks about um the possibility of making money doing what Norwich is seemingly kind of happy to do. He says, if you get it right, I actually think you can make money in English football by being a yo-yo team. Go up, don't overspend, get relegated, but collect the parachute payments, invest in youth, repeat. Let's see how Norwich get on next year. And that is quite interesting. I mean, Stuart Webb has certainly alluded to this in the past where he says, you know, if, if a club of Norwich's size, if they get promotion to the Premier League, the most important thing you can do is not do what, Fulham did and what Villa did more just about more successfully where you are throwing money hand over fist to try and make sure you don't return to the championship you know if you invest properly and wisely and sustainably and then you do get relegated again you have the parachute payments to fall back on and you can reinvest the money when you do go up I mean it's interesting it's probably quite flawed where it seems a bit ridiculous that you can have a, a league system where um, failure is one way to ensure sustainability. Um, but mm. at the same time, hopefully um, what Norwich are doing, and, and we'll see what happens with both Bournemouth and Watford, who of course have, have fairly wealthy uh, foreign owners. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they approach this time around. I mean, I think Watford certainly have the um, infrastructure in terms of their recruitment in order to be quite quite smart and quite clever in how they do things and they certainly have a couple of sellable assets mm. Dakare and, and Saar being being two players I'm sure they'll be able to, to cash in for as well um, Bournemouth is a little bit trickier where if, if I had £10 million to spend on a footballer um, Bournemouth's recruitment team would probably be the last 
people I would I would go to to ask them where to spend it because they seem to be pretty Did capable. Any Liverpool under twenty three games recently? Yeah, that's what exactly. they'd say. I found a gem. Um, I found a gem. I can't believe they're letting him go. I know how much twenty five million. Yeah, yeah, fine, <laughs> done, deal. Um, although I am quite looking forward if we get him to seeing Dominic Solanke starting. You know, forty games in the, in the championship next season. Forty goals. Um, Possibly. Um, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> uh, no, but it's just an interesting... It'll be interesting to see how it, go, how it goes through. And, and you do feel like at this, at this time, um, clubs are having to to think differently as to how they're going to be run. And, and maybe we'll see a slightly different um, tact. Although I would say Huddersfield probably tried this last summer and that didn't go too well. So we'll see. The thing is, because of Watford's ownership structure and the... Uh, the- Pozzo family and the way that they run things with a few other clubs involved under the umbrella like again I haven't done my full Watford research yet I'll be reading everything that Adam Leventhal I'll be reading everything that Adam Leventhal's written this season on the athletic site same with Pete Russler for Bournemouth but like in my head and tell me if I'm right or wrong they might have upwards of 10 players all from different nations across the world just ready to take a chance that they wouldn't have otherwise been given in the Premier League. Like a lot of their signings might already be part of the the larger, the wider system, which, you know, it could be a disaster, but it could be great. I can't wait for them to start in uh, September the 12th with a, a team of regens, football manager regens playing for them. Um, absolute buzzing about that. So, um, yeah, all, all of this to say that um, that piece on the athletic site is, is definitely worth a read. Um, Bradford City represented in it basically talking about how they're still affected by their relegation from the Premier League all these years later because of of the financial carnage that it caused and the fact that they then had to basically sell the stadium which they now rent or lease back so uh, and how much of an impact that has and how much that kind of caps them or limits them in some ways um, as a club and, and in what they can do so definitely worth a read um, if you ha- if you haven't signed up to the Athletic Still a good time to do so. Uh, and the athletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Uh, that is the place to visit if you want 50% off a yearly subscription. It's £2.50 a month. And there's a ton of good stuff on there. Um, and you'll also get a seven-day free trial. So even if you go to the athletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20, read everything you can for seven days and decide it's not good enough, then, uh, then you can cancel your subscription as well. But I dare say you'd probably carry on with a yearly subscription. League One, George, League One, would you be able to run me through uh, as I did for the championship as quickly as possible, but League also A. keeping yes, the energy sir. up? Run me through our League <laughs> okay. One. Run me through our League One table, which was not as good as the championship one. Yeah, we had Portsmouth in. I'm not going to do that. Uh, we had Portsmouth in first position uh, and they finished fifth. Somehow, and this will haunt me, we had. Jack Cross is Sunderland in second, uh, and they finished eighth. Rotherham, we had in third. They finished second, so that was good. Just one off there. Uh, Ipswich, we had in fourth, which felt like a pretty negative prediction, but they ended up finishing 11th. Um, time maybe to close your ears here, Ali, because we had Lincoln <laughs> in fifth and MK Dons in sixth. They ended up on 16 and 19. Uh, yep, and Michael Appleton wasn't even their manager when we made that fifth prediction of Lincoln, so I'd just think what I'd done it if, uh, if he had been. Uh, Fleetwoods, we got pretty much spot on. We predicted seventh, they finished sixth. Um, Peterborough, we predicted eighth, they finished seventh, although most of their fans seem to think they finished in the top two. Uh, Blackpool, we predicted ninth, they finished 13th, so just four off. Uh, Coventry, obviously big outlier here, and all credit to them. We predicted tenth, and they finished first. I'm glad we had them as high as tenth, to be honest. Um, Burton, they had 11th, they finished 12th, so that was only one off. Shrewsbury, we had 12th, and they finished 15th. So three off. Donny, 13th, finished 9th. Gillingham, 14th, finished 10th. Bristol Rovers, 15th, finished 14th. So those three, um, I think we can be fairly happy with Mm. predicting mid-table mediocrity, and that's where they finished. Tranmere, we had in 16th, they finished 21st, although, again, most Tranmere fans will tell you they did not finish 21st. Uh, Oxford, um, who, you know, the podcast is obviously incredibly biased in favour of, given my adoration of them. We had them in 17th, they came 4th. So 13 places apart. I don't know what happened there. Um, South End predicted 18th. They finished 22nd. Four places off. Accrington 19th predicted. Uh, and they came 17th. Wickham. I'm amazed we had Wickham as high as 20th. But we did. And they finished third. Uh, Wimbledon 21st. They finished 20th. A one off. Rochdale 22nd. Came 18th. Four off. 
and Bolton. We got spot on in 23rd. So one team finishing exactly where we predicted. That was Bolton. Wasn't too tricky given the mm. points deduction. Nine teams, which is decent effort, finished three or more. Um, sorry, three or less uh, for where we predicted. And six teams were either over or under by seven places. Good, good, good place to start with this is just to remember that there was only three points between the team in second and the team in eighth when the table finished. So places, or at least final league positions, uh, they were they were kind of fluid in a way, especially given that the season didn't actually play well, to its conclusion. But like say. Sunderland, for example, was six places off. Well, they're only three points off second, where we actually predicted them to finish, but six places. So um, I, I just thought that was that was probably worth mentioning. It's a disaster, though, mostly. I mean, our top six, George, finished fifth, eighth, second, 11th, 16th and 19th. I mean, that's pretty miserable. Um, mm. I want to start with a couple of ones here. Let's start, I mean, with Wickham. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because we had to do 4-4-2 predictions at the end of... June, when they only had about 10 players on their books, put them in 22nd or 23rd. And I mean, I haven't seen a, a magazine snippet go that viral for about 10 years <laughs> since that, um, when it was the Daily Mail tried to predict what the England team would look like in like 10 years' time. And it was a load or, of. Or when 442 tried to predict what David Beckham would actually look like <laughs> in. <Yeah. laughs> um, but that went very viral. And Gareth Ainsworth used it for motivation. Look, no one believes in us. They think we're going to come bottom. Instead, we're going to win promotion via the playoffs to the championship. And, you know, you can't say fairer than that. By the time we did these, they were on the other side of the dotted line. It's still not very impressive, though. Um, funnily enough, I listened back to it. We basically said. We don't see a huge amount between Wickham and Wimbledon in terms of the squad, in terms of the players that the manager has at their disposal. But if it's a battle between Ainsworth and Wally Downs, Gareth Ainsworth wins every single time, essentially. Spot on. Uh, Spot on. So that, that was decent. Um, but that was... You, uh, the one thing I would say about Wickham as well is that I I don't look back and think, like, what were we doing at all? You know, mm. I don't. I don't regret what we thought I don't necessarily think any differently it was just an unbelievable achievement from a group of players and a manager who had absolutely no right to, to be as effective as they were and that's not I mean that if you look at budgets and you look at wage wage bills and you look at previous experience and previous performance levels of players that's that's just that's just fact you know it's and a positive so what, isn't it it's the beauty of sport George exactly, exactly. if we so, if everything that we said in on July the 30th had came to pass it would have been a very boring year of uh, podcasting wouldn't it mm. For the, well, weekly, the weekly pod would have been absolutely miserable would have just been us being like yup as we thought <laughs> everything be, we said is happening we'd be quite rich <laughs> we would be rich we would be rich um, okay I want to ask you about Oxford though because you're little you're quite sarky today I can't believe you're still poking the Peterborough bear and you had a little <laughs> dig at Tramier fans as well it feels harsh given what they've been through recently. But my funniest one is you giving it the whole, oh, aren't we biased towards Oxford? Because uh, oh, we had them 17th. I mean, the very fact that you're an Oxford fan massively impacted this because your emotions at how, well, your disappointment at how the transfer, mark, uh, how the transfer window was going at that point, which was before Matty Taylor had signed, before Elliot Moore had signed. So, that, so John Massinho and Rob Dickey were the only centre-backs in the squad, apart from the youngsters. Uh, and Jamie Mackey was the only striker in the squad. Uh, you talked about Omar Bogle being linked, which is hilarious in hindsight. But you did let that kind of... That was a bit of heart overhead, because there are lots of other teams at that stage who hadn't completed their recruitment, and you probably wouldn't have felt so worried about them, maybe to the same extent. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I just think that if you look at the... Your first sentence was, caliber. I think we're a bet for relegation. Oh, yeah, back to us. But again, <laughs> but, but the same thing as Wickham, as the Wickham um, prediction. I don't look back on this and think, like, what was I thinking? Um, you know, it's like I backed Manchester United for relegation back in October at 500 to 1. They finished third. I don't look back and I was like, what was that? I think it was a decent bet at the time. And I think that with everything, with all the, with all the evidence laid out in front of us about Oxford at the time of recording, I, I don't really see how you could make any other judgment. And obviously, I... I don't think it's right to say it's heart overhead. I think it's right to say that it was kind of fan informed, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, somebody um, probably the, the frustration of the lack of, of transfer activity would have a negative impact. But I think looking at it 
anyway. Um, having Jamie Mackey as a, you know, the now retired Jamie Mackey as your only striking option, um, it's pretty hard to predict anything better than that. The fact that, that Matt Taylor came in um, was pretty important. The fact that um, that Elliot Moore came in to take some of the defensive burden off John Massino. John Massino ended up having his best career uh, as, as an Oxford mm. player. Sorry, his best season as an Oxford player. Um, yeah, it's it's all, again, it's all credit to um, the recruitment team at the club for obviously sticking to their guns and playing a bit of a patient game in terms of recruitment. Credit to Carl as well. My, my opinion of him as a, as, a, as a manager is certainly much higher now than it was um, this time last year. Um, just can't fall into the trap of next season being like, yes, get him in the league, predicting us third. And then this conversation yeah. is much more... This conversation is much more awkward if we predicted Oxford to do really well and then they don't do very well. Well, we did end that that segment by saying could actually be quite tasty with a few signings, which, you know, by the end of the January transfer window, when not only did you add Taylor and Moore in the summer, but you'd also added Marcus Brown at that point. Um, you know, it was a very different team that you ended the season with uh, than, than when we were recording those. Then we fell into a trap that I'm really disappointed in ourselves for falling into. Uh, and I think it's kind of a... It's, I can't believe I'm even saying this. It's, it's, it's almost like a, a kind of a big club overestimating. Like it's almost, we weren't bold enough in looking at bigger names in the division and basically not thinking there was anything special about them, but still putting them kind of high because it felt like you had to, which I'm really annoyed with us for because our, our review of Ipswich was pretty negative. Um, actually, fair enough. We did get tweets from Ipswich fans even then saying I don't. You know, they were pretty negative going in, um, and they started really well, and then it just it was at, it was pretty disastrous, wasn't it? I mean, the fact that Paul Lambert signed a five year contract is definitely in the top ten weirdest things to happen in the EFL this season. And it's a yeah. there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in the EFL. But the other one is Sunderland, who he predicted second. I listened to the segment. I'm not going to replay it all on here because it's too long and it's not that interesting. But it's literally like not particularly good. Didn't really rate them last season. Don't really like the manager. Got lots of good players on paper. Not sure he's the right guy to get them playing well. Not that good going forward. Maybe they'll sack him and get someone else in. We were almost clinging to maybe they'll sack Ross and get a really good manager in and then they'll sort of return to their natural state at the top of this division. It just didn't happen like that at all. I remember in the summer with Sunderland um, thinking... But like, how... it's, it's literally, if you listened to the segment without knowing where we predicted them, you'd almost think we'd put them like 12th. That is really negative. But they they were so poor, no matter what they say, in the 18-19 in the season. And they ended up finishing third. And so I think the thinking was just like, they can't be that bad again. Mm. Like, surely they can't be that bad again. And it kind of felt like they were just so poor then that actually a, a repeat performance in another playoff campaign was, was basically as bad as it could get, which is which is quite clearly wrong. Um, I'm, I'm as frustrated as you are because I feel like we caved in to of something because mm. we, we, did, we didn't think they were very good and we put it to the second and it was silly and we, we learned. We move on and we learn. Still a bit confused by what happened with Pompey because we, we were uh, we were pretty bullish on them. Um, you know, given given we thought Sunderland were going to come second, and we weren't, and we didn't really rate them. I mean, we were very bullish with Pompey, uh, and the start to the season was miserable. I mean, if you take if the season had started on October the first, uh, they would have won the division. So it was just that start. There you go. They really let them down. That prediction was dead in the water by um by the late by late September, which is a shame. And then. MK Dons and Lincoln, George, to what extent did we get a bit drunk on the old, not that much of a gap between League Two and League One juice? If I remember correctly, I was very keen on Lincoln and you were very keen on MK Dons. That is absolutely accurate. Um, and in fairness, Lincoln, when Cowley left Lincoln, albeit after only six or seven games, they were fifth at the time. There you go. I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay, well, MK Dons was, was a disaster. <laughs> MK Dons was an absolute calamity. Another team who just, I mean, the the start of the season they had was so miserable. Um, I don't know necessarily to what extent I think looking back we could have seen it coming because 
They did show some potential towards the back end of the season once Russell Martin took over from Paul Tisdale. That um, mm. I think I think what you what you have to say is that Paul Tisdale was dealt a very tough hand with injuries. One of the worst spells of of injuries that I can think of this season in the EFL, but also where some managers are able to use that sort of obstacle to galvanise a squad, it, it almost went completely the other way. Like, you know, in terms of, in, in terms of, you know, our arbitrary judgments of managers and how good we think they are at, let's say, tactics, transfers, man management. Those are three very arbitrary categories. But let's say those are three categories. Paul Tisdale's man management skills went down in a big way, in my estimation, during that spell mm. at Um As for Coventry, we had them 10th. They finished first, an absolutely unbelievable season. And listening to this, you'd think that we had them second and had Sunderland 10th. Listen oh, to this. Really? Another manager who has a lot of credit in the bank is Mark Robbins at Coventry. And we have Coventry 10th. Um, some really exciting signings um, this summer. Is it fair to say that we'd have them higher if they weren't playing their home games away from home? I think it definitely is. They've actually got a team to be proud of. They've certainly got a manager to be proud of. Uh, and they have done for the last few years. So at least on the pitch, things have been pretty good. And you're absolutely right to say that genuinely, we don't know what playing at Birmingham is going to do. It's putting a lot of people off. And I suppose it's putting us off to some extent because I think if they were playing at the Rico, we'd probably have them playoff chasing. And, and as it is, we've got them 10th. Neither of us would be surprised in the slightest if playing at Birmingham doesn't phase Robbins and his team and, and they're higher up. I think we would be quite surprised if they were much lower, unless for whatever reason it's like a complete disaster uh, playing away. So there you go. We clearly can't be too upset about that. Um, what do you think about our League One predictions overall, George? What, what's this chat left you feeling ahead of, <laughs> let's say, uh, next month's predictions? Well, I was going to say, I think we need to do more bold predictions, but I've just suddenly remembered that Lincoln and, and MK Dons are in fifth and sixth here. So we <laughs> clearly we did clearly tried our best. Um, just being more bullish and not not falling for the traps of a big club equals success. Um, you know, the one I'd, maybe two, I would probably say I'm quite proud of are our Fleetwood and Peterborough picks because, um, you know, Peterborough, and this isn't me being chippy or anything now, and I'll drop all that stuff. But Peterborough certainly were, were very well fancied to do better than, than where they came. Um, and we only had them off by one. And in Fleetwood, you know, with, with Joey Barton, I think it would have been very easy to um, not be quite as, as positive necessarily or, or to go overboard. And, and we got them pretty much bang on as well. So they're, they're the two that I'm, 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 I'm happy about. OK, fair enough. Uh, League two. Not a good one, I'm afraid. I was hoping to finish this on a positive note, um, but it was it was a tough one. And it also, you might think that having Wickham 21st and then finishing third would be our worst prediction. That was not the case. So stay tuned for this. The League Two predicted table back in July 2019, we had Mansfield Town first and they came 21st. A difference of 20 places. Absolutely unbelievable. We had Plymouth second, and they came third. Uh, Bradford third. They came ninth. Really overestimated Bradford. Swindon fourth. They came first. Should have been more bullish there. Uh, Scunthorpe fifth. They came 20th. 15 points difference. Newport and Forest Green, we were too high on as well. We had them sixth and seventh, and they came 14th and 10th. Then there's Exeter, who, came, who we predicted eighth. They came fourth. Colchester ninth. They came sixth. Salford 10th. They came 11th. That was about right. Uh, Crew. We predicted 11th and they came second. Walsall, 12th and they came 12th. Way. Uh, <laughs> Northampton, 13th and they came 7th. Cheltenham, 14th. They came 5th. This is a bad run, this. Stevenage, 15th and they came 24th. A gap of 9. Uh, Port Vale, 16th and they came 8th. Eight, point, eight places gap. Leighton Orient, bang on, 17th. Grimsby, 18th. They came 15th. Crawley, we predicted 19th and they came 13th. Good old Yemsey doing the business. Can't wait to see mm. what he comes up with next season. And Morecambe, we predicted 20th. They actually came 23rd. Uh, again, like the championship table, I'm not including Macclesfield's points deduction here. Even if off-field problems was a big reason why we had them in 24th, we, we weren't predicting points deductions. So we can't honestly say that that would be a fair thing to, to apply in this sense. Cambridge 21st, we thought they came 16th. 
Carlisle 22nd, they came 18th, and Oldham 23rd, they came 19th. Those teams we underestimated, but only slightly, really. Remember, the bottom half of League Two this season was a pretty dire place, uh, it must be said, in, in footballing terms. Uh, Macclesfield, Macclesfield, as I said, 24th, they came 22nd in terms of the points they picked up over the season. So two places difference. Um, two teams we got spot on, but not in a particularly exciting way. Walsall in 12th <laughs> and Leighton Orient in 17th. Eight teams finished in or within three places of our prediction. And nine teams were either over or underestimated by at least seven places. Now, that is not good. You want that, you want that number, the second number, in or within three places of prediction to be higher than overall underestimated by at least seven. But say la vie, George. Where I think we have to start with, with Mansfield, don't we? L- let's just remind ourselves of what we said at the time about this Mansfield team because I must admit, there's some of these where I'm like, yeah, I can see the logic. And this one, I'm like, what were we thinking? There's no way Mansfield should still be in League Two this season, is there? But here they are. And in John Dempster, they have a rookie manager. Essentially, we're saying... The only real question mark about this Mansfield team is is the rookie manager, but just not strong enough to put us off them being champions. Well, exactly. And and because I think Flitcroft was a bit of a negative for a team who deserved to go up last season, basically. If they continue to, to have the XG numbers they had last season where they created the best chances consistently over the course of the season and gave up, uh, you know, their XG ratio was fantastic. Um, and Dempster was a part of that coaching squad as well. I think it's just got to be continuity and uh, Flitcroft is a manager who as a characteristic has bad spells and hopefully that'll be gone with this and and I think they look um, pretty impenetrable um, at the top end of uh, of League Two. So to say George that quite the opposite of what we said there Mansfield it turns out were just about as penetrable as a football team comes under John Tempster and our worst prediction of the whole lot. Yes, um, if Mr. Flitcroft is listening, I owe you an apology. Um, if Mr. Dempster is listening, you owe us an apology. Uh, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. This one, I, I'm annoyed. I'm still only surprised they came twentieth. <laughs> like I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I know. Twenty first. I'm annoyed for one reason, and that is because I said to you last summer, this year I'm going to just steer clear of any side with a new manager. And instead, we had a side top. Like, you know, Ryan Lowe is a bit different because we, we knew a bit about him. We knew what he'd done. We put a team top of the league with a manager who'd never managed a game of football before. <laughs> that um, was not a very good idea. Um, but I'd, I'd kind of agree. I can see our reasoning. You know, if we look back to pre-season, I think Mansfield went off short, basically quite short price favourites for the league. I think they're about the same price to win the league as Leeds were. So... Mm. Like, let's just remember that we weren't here sticking our neck out, you know, putting up a side who uh, who were unfancied. I wish we had um, done that instead. I wish we had done. <laughs> I wish. I wish we had done that with Crew or Cheltenham or someone. Um, yeah, fair play to all those out there who who did put Crew up because there are a few of them. Um, but it's yeah, with Mansfield that they were just they were just very poor. Um, they they had the same personnel as the side under Flickcroft who were who were very impressive. Um, but for whatever reason, it it just didn't really. Um, will go to plan. And I've got, they've I've, got, I've got a line. They've got a manager in now, who um, Graham Coughlin, who um, I don't feel like is a very good fit either. Um, I feel like the way that club has been run since the playoff defeat uh, against um, was it Tranmere? They lost to in the semi final. Um, but anyway, I mean, whoever it was in that semi, the, the management, the way that club's been run um, has not been good for the past year, and they've got a big job now turning that around. Um, and fair play to them for. for putting some egg on our face. I, I think also, you know, we, I think, m- underestimated the quality generally from the top end of League Two the season before. We took clubs like Exeter and Colchester and Crew, who'd had decent kind of second halves to the season the season before, and we didn't really make much of that form, instead preferring to go with sides who had been relegated um, from, um, from League One or sides yeah. who, in Mansfield, who were in that group. And that was quite clearly a mistake. I've got a line on Mansfield. We thought Dempster's team would be on fire, but instead they were a dumpster fire. Ah. To coin an American phrase. Yeah, nice. Like it. Thank you. Um, The second worst prediction 
of our whole predictions, I think. I know, Wickham second worst, third worst, on the podium, in bronze, a medal round the neck of Paul Hurst, George, and specifically his Scunthorpe side, where we basically said, we just said, we really like Paul Hurst, and we think he's going to be a very good manager for this Scunthorpe team. Now, they did not start the season well. It was miserable, in fairness. It was really grim stuff. At the same time, it was quite a surprise when he ended up leaving in January. Like, I think there'd been enough wins over September, October, November, start of December to, to suggest that maybe things are turning a corner. But in the end, they, they pulled the trigger. I note that they still don't have a permanent manager. Russ Wilcox has been caretaker since January. I mean, it, he's celebrating six months in charge. This is like, he, you know, he's, he's certainly... He's certainly passed his probation, hasn't he? But he still hasn't got the job. He's the manager longer longer than Hurst. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do there, Scunthorpe. Um, but uh, but I guess we'll see. Hopefully not being too badly affected by um, by the sort of COVID shutdown. Uh, I dare say a lot of League Two clubs will be. Uh, and, and we're going to find out, I guess, it's going to start trickling out over the next few weeks when when teams are told you have to get back in training, you have to get ready for a season to start, presumably, we think, without some fans there. Um, I think we're going to find out just how badly affected some of these teams have been with a lot of them just completely locking down and, and basically putting every member of staff on furlough. It's been a little bit easier to, to sort of to keep the flames low. Um, but, but once furlough ends, that's going to be very different. So, I mean, this that sentence went from talking about Paul Hurst at Scunthorpe to talking about um, COVID, which wasn't really the idea of the pod. But anyway, <laughs> that was a terrible prediction. Hands up. Uh, no excuses there. And as you say, I think Crew's the one. Crew and Cheltenham are really interesting ones looking back. You basically gave your standard three-minute eulogy about Michael Duff and how amazing you thought he was. You even said that you liked all of their signings, Cheltenham. Even, you said, even Rohan Ince, which is hilarious because I'm pretty sure you just say Rowan, but you say Rohan Ince. Oh, really? Who hadn't played. I, I, <laughs> You're like, I still say Rohan. He hasn't played for a year. Um, sure? Maybe it is Rohan. Maybe it is Rohan. But wasn't it? Was it Rohan Ricketts, the old the old Spurs youngster? No, he he was Rowan. Oh, well, now I'm doubly confused. Are you thinking of sure. the, the Riders of Rohan from um, no, J.R. Tolkien's I, world? I think I've just heard his name being said that way. In fairness, you've probably got better, like mid-term to long-term EFL knowledge than me. In fact, you definitely do. So Thank it's you. probably more likely that you've heard his name than I have from back in the day. Uh, interesting and he, and, he, and he made nine unbelievable League, league Two appearances for Cheltenham. So. Right, okay. Well, <laughs> um, it, he turned out not to be much of a factor, but we should have been stronger on Mike Duff because we had them you know, very much mid-table and they were, they were nine places above, as were Crewe. Um, again, it's frustrating listening back. I make the point that no one had talked enough about the fact that basically from Christmas Day of the 18-19 season... If the league had started then, Crew would have finished top. They had the best record in the second half of the season. Mm. We were blinded by a poor away record and we had just quite lazily, I think, just gone, well, it's because they've got a young team, so they'll always be bad away from home. Um, <laughs> but then the team got a year older, not all at the same time, but cumulatively <laughs> and gradually. And it turned out they weren't scared of playing away from home anymore. So we got that completely wrong. What a magnificent team Crew were last season. I can't wait to see them in League One. And then there's like, there's, I feel a bit let down by Newport. I feel pretty let down by Forest Green. These teams kind of flattered to deceive. Bradford, maybe we were guilty of, of what we were talking about in League One. Maybe a bit of big name bias there. I can't, I, I actually can't believe it. I would say I, I don't have big name bias at all. I feel like I've got some of the least big name bias around. And yet the proof in the pudding does not reflect well on me. So there you go. Um, I don't know what else to say. Stevenage is, the, is, is another one where they'd only just finished outside the playoffs. We had them in 15th and we say very specifically like their fans are going to be baffled here as you would be if you've just finished outside the playoffs and some blokes are telling you you're going to finish nine or ten places lower. Um, but it turned out that that was, well, A, some of the stuff we said was right, but just didn't, weren't strong enough. One of the worst teams we've seen at, at this level. Um, mm. I suppose... As you say, like you say, we need to be bolder. Are you, how are you going to predict a team that finishes seventh or eighth 
to suddenly be a team that wins three football matches out of out of thirty odd. I mean, exactly. That's, that's that's tough. That's tough. Does anything stand out for you in uh, in League Two terms? Again, not not a classic. This. Yeah, Salford definitely. Oh yeah, I think that's probably our best prediction in the whole thing. Wow. Um, because they opened up favourites for League Two. They were second favourites, I think, at the at the off, and we just weren't really having it. Mm. And we got it right. You know, we didn't go overboard and put them down in like seventeenth. We didn't just move them a little bit down into like fourth or fifth when actually we didn't fancy them. We took a view. We executed it. We pulled the trigger. Jobs are good. Jobs are good. That's the one hour bell, George. That's us done. We've run out of time. Um, And it's been a pleasure. It's quite nice just to... I've loved it. It's just nice to calm down a bit, isn't it? Just to relax a little bit and let the words flow out of you without having to think about you know 12 different matches every three days uh, and what yeah. it all means various permutations we absolutely loved the last month of championship action do not get me wrong on that um but it's quite nice to chill out a bit and as i said I, I mean i haven't run them all by you yet but i've got quite a lot of i've got a note on my phone with a load of like basically off-season bonus content i'm gonna run it by you and see what you think so stay tuned guys we're gonna we're gonna keep going as much as possible but being wary of of not wanting to burn out and trying to recharge a little bit. Um, but, you know, with recording in batches and scheduling, hopefully we'll get something out each week. Um, and then we will be certainly ramping things up again in, you know, three, four weeks' time and trying to preview next season, which is probably going to be harder than last season. But hopefully the predictions will be better. Uh, let us know what you thought about this pod. At NTT20Pod on Twitter is probably the best place to reach us. We hope that you've enjoyed it. And we hope that you will listen to the Going Up, Going Down podcast on Friday if you're interested in the championship playoffs, which in fairness, if you're 61 minutes in to a podcast about the EFL <laughs> and you're not interested in the championship playoffs, then you've taken a wrong turn somewhere along the way. And um, thanks for listening guys. Go well.